Mojo. Ah, yes, here it is. Got your mojo working. Pizzazz, oomph, zest, passion, energy, vibe, ACDC, the Mojo Radio Show. Hey, that can't be right. I got my mojo working, but it just won't work on you. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. I know I say it every week, but I've got to say... This week's show is an absolute cracker. This guy is good. Mm. What's the show all about? Well, we just like to find people that we think have got something going on in their world that gives them extra mojo, whether it be in business or strategy or marketing, brand, personal lives, health, fitness, spirituality, community, or just an inspiring story. And the guy who drives the panel, he is the bus driver behind the keyboard. Robbo, how's it going, buddy? It's going really well, mate. Thank you. And you? Very, very well indeed. That's the Do way. you like what I've done to the place? Yeah, it looks a bit tidy. I walked in this morning and didn't even recognise the studio. What have you been up to? <laughs> well, just to start the show, folks, I'm going to get ribbed for this, but mm. I was given a book about the life-changing magic of tidying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Shady, <laughs> look, it's, this is interesting. It's, it's by a Japanese lady called Marie Kondo, and she sold over 1.5 million copies. Now, you know how the Japanese lead a life of simplicity and minimalism? Yeah. And I've talked on the show before about a a very good book I read called The Minimalist and another fantastic book called called The Essentialist, which is about decluttering, like Mm. decluttering strategy, decluttering our thinking. And those things, clutter does steal our mojo, and it certainly can steal our creative spirit. So, anyway, I read this book, um, and the front cover says, it's a life-changing magic of tidying, a simple, effective way to banish clutter forever. And her principle is, he goes through one little area of the house at a time, mm. or one layer of the office. Don't do the whole thing at once, just do one little area. So you go and you just do your T-shirts, or you just go and do your the top, top shelf of your cupboard. You pick up each item, you look at it, and you go, does this bring me joy? Mm. Or... Is it functional? So there are some stuff, you, know, you might be a carving knife, you go, well, it doesn't bring me joy, I don't love it, but it's functional, it's a good knife. But if you've got three, there's probably two too many. Yeah. And you may go through your wardrobe and pick out an old jacket or a T-shirt or a pair of shorts, and you go, I haven't worn these in two years, I actually don't, don't bring me joy. Mm. Why, why am I keeping them just in case? Now, you may pick up your old Divinals boob tube (laughs) and go, this does bring me joy. Every time I wear it, it, it's a cracking T-shirt. It's really old. It's falling apart, but I love it. Then Mm. you keep it. But all the other ones, the old ones that are falling apart and we just don't wear. Anyway, so I've started doing it at home. I've done it in the shed, done it through the the bedroom, worked in the kitchen. I must say, there's something empowering about walking in and seeing all the crap gone. And the other thing I'd say is really cool is you take the stuff that may not be value to you any longer, mm. but when you donate it to a Vinnie's or, you know, somebody who is more in need of those things, it yeah. feels great to hand those things across and walk out knowing you've helped somebody. So yeah. 
There you go, mate. I'll put a, a link to the book in the show notes. Mm. Uh, the Life-Changing Magic of Tidying by Marie Kondo. Um, and that's why the studio... I've done a bit of work here in the studio. Yeah, that's why I, I, need, so I need to ask you a question, though. I can't find the Tim Tams, and if you've thrown them out, I'll be really disappointed because I need them, and they're functional. And, more importantly, they do bring you joy. And they do bring me joy. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and nah. I'd say probably looking at that Dividers T-shirt, they bring you a little too much a joy. Little too, yeah, the chocolate stains down the front sort of give it away a bit, don't they? Ah, <sighs> uh, well. Mate, uh, we've got a big show this week. we better rip into it. Let's get into it. Radio show. So this week's guest, mate, uh, is somebody that I have known from being on the road as a corporate speaker because when you're speaking quite often, you are not the only one on a stage. There's guys before or after you when you're speaking, so to speak. And also the, the speaking community gets to talk and share and so on. And one guy who has built a great reputation as a corporate speaker for... CEOs and the leaders of organisations, a guy called Colin Chodos. And I've known Colin for many, many years. I always love sitting down with him. He's just got a great heart and so smart with the stuff he can share about with business and strategy and dealing with change and people and drawing out great ideas. And apart from that, he's just got a really good soul. So uh, Colin Chodos, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. Gary, thank you. Thank you for having me as a guest. It's great. We have been trying for a while to get you on. And firstly, thank you so much for squeezing us into your day. I believe we've got you between appointments in your car. So, mate, we, uh, we're very grateful for you taking time out of your busy day to chat to, um, chat to us. Not a problem. It's a pleasure. Always nice to talk to you, Gary. <laughs> oh, you say, oh, you've kicked off well, mate. You've come out of the, you've come out of the gates well. Um, Colin, your company is known as a business intelligence consultancy. And I was just curious... Can you explain the sort of work you would normally do and who you would do it for? Certainly. Um, the, the work that we that, that I do and uh, and the, the the small group of people that I work with do, we focus on assisting companies achieve increased uh, productivity and effectiveness um, and uh, drive the bottom line performance of the organizations we work with, but with a, with a significant focus on people, people and behavior. That's where we get our pleasure and that's where we uh, are able to make the biggest difference is, is how leaders of businesses uh, engage with their, their, their senior teams, with the boards that they work with and with the people who actually produce things for them. Yeah, right. And in your business, what are the key steps that you've seen businesses do successfully to embrace this change and move with change? One of the things that, uh, that I'm observing at the moment is, is the appreciation by, by good leaders that the world, are, not only is the world around them that is changing, but, but the, the needs of the people that work for the organisations and uh, um, and leading the journey, leading the charge, leading the uh, being dynamic about the need to be flexible, by the need to be nimble, by not being fixed on the way in which things have always been done, being open to uh, suggestions by their people, looking at innovation as just part of the world that that they live in, uh, and, and and not accepting that the status quo is is always going to be as it is, and uh, that seems to be, and it really doesn't matter which sector. 
uh, one's operating in. It's, it's the attitude of, of, of the leadership and the attitude of, of the team uh, that, that, that drives significant change. Um, uh, I think one of the, one of the organizations that I, that I read about um, had a beautiful mantra around change, and they, they, they had a they had a phrase about process improvement, which described the organisation, and it it um, it, it went to uh, something like like this, you know, uh, love it, change it, or leave it. So in other words, embrace, embrace what's going on. If, if if you don't like it, do something about it. Otherwise, get rid of it. Yeah, it's nice. The main thing is don't complain about it. Tell me the attributes or the steps I take to be a great change leader. It's interesting that you ask that, Gary, because what most people don't appreciate is that we expect other people to change, and yet we don't realize that the biggest success of change leaders is where they are prepared to change first. So mm, the nice. leader, the self-awareness to actually make a massive difference in doing something differently themselves is, in fact, the biggest catalyst of change. Because if, if, if people experience a manager the same way all the time, that becomes routine. That's the habit. And uh, to drive change, management and senior leadership need to be very self-aware. What are they doing uh, that actually maintains the status quo versus how can they engage their people in a different manner to actually drive change? So that's, that's, that's one aspect. Um, there, there are a lot of great change models that, ex- that, that exist. Cotter's model is lovely. In terms of in terms of driving change and uh, creating a guiding coalition and a sense of urgency, but one of the things that 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 is missed often is the underlying psychological or psychology aspect of change, minimising the, the the resistance for people to accept change and getting people to embrace it, and and uh, that's an exciting part because it actually has a a significant flow on effect. Um, there are a whole range of things, and I could I could spend quite a long time. But one of the key things is that not many not many uh, people understand the the vision that leaders might have about what the future looks like. Good change leaders break down change into small bites that people can get to grips with, that they can understand, they can embrace, they can see success, they can celebrate the success, um, they can be identified as the part that they play in it. Uh, so it's not necessarily about the end big picture. It's about a com- combining that with with micro steps that we can measure, that we can celebrate, that we can actually see how well we've done, we can learn from. Uh, these are all the combining things, just some of them, uh, yeah, that, that, that drive more effective change. Can you talk to me about the dealing with the emotions behind change, Colin, because I must say in the last couple of years I get more and more phone calls to go and do a speaking job and it's generally around mojo because businesses or people have lost their mojo because of change and I hear that as part of the brief a lot. We're going through change, there's been some redundancies, there's some change of roles, people have lost their mojo. Can you come back and do a keynote for us? Can you give me some actual tips that leaders could think about or individuals could think about to deal with the emotions behind change? Great, great, great question. Uh, um, let, me try and, let me try and make this practical. Um, one of the key differences is, uh, is, is, is the difference between imposed versus planned change. So, so let me run you through an exercise. Uh, uh, if you think about something in your life at the moment that is changing, either personal or business, 
Yeah, if you isolate something, you don't have to share it, but just isolate it in your mind. Then think about, is that imposed or is it planned? So if you're really specific about it, let's say you've got a uh, family member that's leaving leaving the city to get married and live somewhere else. Uh, or you've got a sibling uh, that uh, that is uh, that, that is that, that, that is getting married, or you've got uh, um, you, you've got a, a colleague from work that is leaving to go to another job. That's all about change. You've got a new manager. That's all about change. Now the question is: Is that imposed or planned? There's a great psychological difference between imposed or planned change, and how what that how that leaves people feeling. Now. When we do this analysis with people, we find that as managers and leaders, what do we do most of the time? Mm, we actually yep. impose change. We impose on it. Yep. Yep. And and most of the behavioural aspects that are negative, which people generally share, and that is that I'm anxious, I'm fearful, I'm I'm, I'm concerned, I'm uh, I may be excited. Um, I may be apprehensive. Most of the negative attributes of change usually emanate from imposed change. Mm. And one of the things that we have to do as leaders and managers is to develop processes that help our people get involved in planned change. Because planned change provides people with a sense of control, a sense of contribution, a sense of participation. And when that begins to take place, the behaviors change. You start to get engagement, you start to get excitement. It's a very, very, very different picture. So one of the things that we explore is how do we create organizational change where people are brought into the process as early on as possible in order to be part of the planned change and not the imposed change. And that changes the effectiveness and the productivity of the entire organization. Gee, that's... um. Wow. Robo, there's gold and then there are hills, <laughs> yeah, mate. That's That's, um, that's unreal. That's, uh, that is very, very good, Colin. Mm. Um, in going through that process, I'm curious, is there a difference between personal change and how we deal with it and business change? Are they one and the same or are they? should we view them differently? Well, let, 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 let's take a step back for a second. Let's take it in a higher order. Across our organisations in Australia these days, uh, there's massive diversity. There's diversity in age, there's diversity in ethnicity, there's diversity in experience, uh, um, and goes on and on. The question that I often uh, try and get people to think about is that from an age perspective, do you think that younger or older people deal with change differently? Mm. Question number one. Mm. Do you think that people with different ethnic backgrounds deal with change differently? And someone said to me the other day, well, no, 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 no. Uh, old people do better with change or younger people do better with change uh, these days. And I said, okay, well, then consider if you took someone's iPad or iPod away from them. How would they cope with that change? Well, not very well is the response. So actually, human nature means that most of us, irrespective of age, diversity, ethnicity, we actually deal at a human level with change the same way. And that's the, that's the clue. That's the gold, actually, because once we understand that, it means that we have the ability to actually uh, um, outline processes and tactics and engagement processes that, that help people cope with it, because change does create stress. And uh, that's at all levels. Um, it, it, it changes how we see the world because how I might... Well, it's actually very interesting. There was some research a number of years ago, and I, I can't remember how long ago, 
one of the key reasons that frontline people resisted change uh, is, is directly related to um, the a, a sense of will I cope with the future state? Will I be successful in the future state? And and and, and that's a uh, that's a fundamental. Um, also, a, 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 a key factor is people not being communicated with about what's going on. Now, a lot of organizations fear transparency. And what we've been able to see and encourage is that where organizations and leaders are more transparent, you actually get a greater sense of ability to change. I am about to finish a book on that point, Colin, and it's a fantastic book. And I think it's called Discovering Happiness, and I will put it in the show notes for us. It's by the CEO of... Zappos, and I think I've made reference to it on the show before, and Zappos is one of the great online retailers. And a couple of things in the book that reiterate this, it's a real-life case study of what you just talked about, because he moved his whole business from Los Angeles to Las Vegas. So he had 90 staff, but rather than just tell them, he outlined the opportunity said, here's why we think it's a great opportunity for us. Here's the dream we have for the business where it could go to to be a billion-dollar company. We'd like you to come, but you don't have to. And if you choose not to, then here's what we'll do to help you. And in the book, he talked about seven or eight out of ten people all went to Las Vegas. And he said one of the critical things for his business was that he cared deeply about his people and he, his, his selection process was diligent with choosing the right people that would fit Zappos as opposed to those who do a great job. But the other interesting thing that he said that backed up what you just said is they were totally transparent and not just for their internal staff but also for their suppliers. And they built a program where a supplier could go in and see the complete cash flow of the business, the sales, the stock they were holding. They turned the whole business and put a big glass wall around it so the whole thing was transparent. So they are a super successful business that have an amazing culture that are in the top 10 companies in the world for companies I'd like to work for. So it's just it's good hearing that stuff you're talking about because that's a good example people could go to to reiterate exactly what you're saying. It's, 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 it's a wonderful example. I worked with an organization in Melbourne where the CEO had, a, um, had an issue about the company really underperforming and they were under threat in terms of their, uh, um, their survival, quite frankly. And he was incredibly concerned and, and depressed about the state of play and the realities in the business. And I asked him about whether he had discussed this with any of his people, and he said no. He was too fearful that they would all get up and go if those vulnerabilities were shared. And um, we devised a process that he eventually decided to run, and uh, we invited all of his team. In fact, there were 35 people in the business, uh, uh, just to give a sense of scale. He, uh, um, Friday afternoon, 3 p.m., shut the doors, uh, brought everyone together, brought on some temps to answer the phone, and he shared with the entire staff, uh, all the people, this is the state of the business. I need your help in order to turn it around. What can we do? And 
this is about seven years ago. Today they're still in business. The people themselves identified those areas of the business that were underperforming. They identified the two or three roles that couldn't actually continue immediately. Um, and uh, they solved the problems in the business. And this was all because of a decision right there and then to actually grab onto the, the transparency and, and share the realities of what, what, what is actually taking, was taking place. And there are a lot of business leaders that actually are very fearful of that vulnerability and that transparency. Yeah, how true. It's a great point. Can you think, Colin, in, say, the last 12 months where you have made a significant change to your own world that's had a profound effect? I mean, you should ask. <laughs> because <laughs> one of the things that uh, um, uh, maybe a little bit longer, but uh, there's uh, uh, sometimes we, we we tend to uh, um, go with the flow of the patterns that were, that 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 are happening around us. And um, over the last twelve months, uh, I've made a decision to actually move from an office to actually move my office to home. I spend most of my time with clients, and that's right. been a significant change. And uh, Welcome uh, to the fraternity. It, 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 it's fantastic. It's working brilliantly, and uh, uh, work discipline has never been an issue for me, but I have now the benefits of enjoying uh, not being in the traffic when I don't need to and, uh, uh, and, and, and set up to, to work in a different manner, and that's been, that's been exciting. It's, uh, I'm delighted with what's taken place. Do you have a Colin Chodos go-to productivity tip that you've implemented, which has made a difference to how you operate? I think one of the key things for me has always been, and I don't think it's new, but it works very well for me, is always having the end in mind. Start with the end in mind. Know what you're trying to achieve. Know what you're trying to deliver. Know what you're trying to, uh, out of everything, know what the end looks like, because the success of that is, is, is critical to what we envisage, how we, uh, how we picture that success um, and what that picture in our mind looks like. And, and having that, that visibility of what the end looks like, I think, drives a lot of what I do. Uh, and uh, you build the processes, the steps, the uh, how am I going to get there is secondary. But what do I want to accomplish? What do I need out of it? What does it look like? What does the success look like? Whether it's a discussion, whether it's a, um, a plan, a strategy, uh, spending time thinking about that has been a very, very productive process uh, for me and what I do. Mm, that's good. Um, you work with a lot of companies. You... Um, are on the speaking circuit and super successful, getting in front of a lot of CEOs, a lot of leaders. Tell me what you think is the strongest attribute that you have observed that makes a great modern-day leader. I think the, uh, the ability to learn from others. Um, self-awareness. Self-awareness for me is the strongest attribute of, 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 of a great leader uh, and, and putting the ego in the back pocket. Uh, I think that's still one of the most powerful things that good leaders today can uh, uh, can borrow from others who do it better. Uh, believe in your people. Uh, be, be, you know, there's probably a range of things that I'm that I'm sharing, but uh, I I think self awareness and the impact that that these leaders have on on the people around them. A lot of guys that I meet and women that I meet on are not aware as sharply as they should be of the impact they're having on the people around them. 
And uh, because that's, that, that's a game changer when, when that sensitivity is there. Do you know, it's, you've mentioned a couple of times through the show the ability to learn, be self-aware and develop and to lead from the front. And what's ironic is you use the words at the start of the show of flexible and nimble. And I heard an interview between Tim Ferriss and Kevin Kelly, who I think is the editor or the chief in charge of Wide magazine and a, a super successful visionary leader. And Tim Ferriss asked him about how, how does a leader keep up with what's happening and prepare themselves for the future? And Kevin Kelly's response was the two words he gave was a leader needs to be flexible and nimble. They're exactly the same words that you used. And he said in order to do that, his recommendation was to read 10 books a year. And what I get astonished at is how fewer books people read anymore. Absolutely. And yet for most rooms that we work in, 10 books would be, poof, mate, that's probably twice or, you know, that's that's two-thirds more than I would read in a normal year. Have you observed the same thing? Do you think we're, we're sort of shortchanging ourselves on the amount of new new learnings we do? I, I think the I think the world delivers delivers learnings to us in different ways these days. Um, I think technology has enabled learning to be in much sharp, sharper, shorter mm. bursts. Uh, reading, you know, one doesn't have to read an entire book. But I do, I do think that there's access to information. Taking the time or being aware that that we actually should be reading the article, uh, the couple of paragraphs, or the the uh, and a bit more than just the headlines, I think is important. But uh, I agree that I think the time pressures have forced a lot of a lot of people not to read as much. The other, the other and Gary, I know that you are. Uh, you're a, a keen promoter of the concept. Is is the peer networks and having having business coaches and someone to bounce ideas off and uh, is a very powerful process. Uh, the other the other thing for me, which I think makes a great leader, is a leader's ability to mentor and coach him or herself. You know, to spend time with someone else because when you teach something, you actually can become better at it. And uh, I, I think that's a fabulous way. For, uh, for leaders to become sharper at what they know and what they do is when they actually share that learning with others within their organization. Um, and not enough, I don't think enough leaders spend enough time uh, developing, directly impacting and developing a dedicated time to developing others. I think the, the other important thing with this, Colin, I'd be interested in your view, is that when we talk about leadership, there is also all these things can apply to personal leadership. So if you work for yourself and you work from home, there's your own personal leadership and then how you lead your own brand yep. when you're interacting with customers, clients or suppliers. You could be leading a social group. You could be leading a footy team. You could be coaching a footy team. You could be a school teacher. You could be the principal. You could be running a small team of three to five or you could be uh, running a social group that is in a community group, a charity. So, it's fair in saying that the stuff we're talking about is not just just in a business sense, is it, Colin? It's, it's basically leadership when you are looking to inspire or take others on a journey. Would you? Would that be fair? Well, even even take it to a, a more micro level is you know we spend we invest a lot of time in the in our in our business world. How much time do you invest in our personal world to actually share ideas and thoughts with our family, our kids, yeah. uh, and, and inspire them? And, and I mean, it starts. That's you're on the money. It's all about the way in which we we invest in others, 
um, around us that I think actually uh, gives us the ability to actually make a difference. It doesn't matter the organization, whether it's profit or not for profit, if it's social, if it's... Um, I used to love my, my cricket coaching that I used to do, uh, you know, when my son was younger. And I actually miss it, quite frankly, because it was a wonderful way to actually uh, to, to share and build confidence in others. Colin, um, I know you're on your way to um, another appointment um, in the car there, so I don't, I don't want to hold you up. I've just got a couple of quick questions for you. And just one I'm very curious sure. about. I watched some videos of yours and you had this fantastic saying, which I love. You said, disruptors are innovators but not all innovators are disruptors. Now, I love that. Can you elaborate on that for me? Not all innovators are disruptors. Is uh, just, just innovating for the sake of it, by accident we could disrupt. Uh, it really depends on the strategy. What are we trying to do? What, to what degree are we, are, are we trying to get ahead in our particular segment? Because if you really want to disrupt a segment, I, I really believe that you, you have to think um, several, several horizons above where yeah. you are now. And in order to actually to create a forward-thinking picture of what's possible or what might be, or, uh, and, and that takes another level of thinking as opposed to just for the purposes of innovation. Uh, does that make sense, what I've said, Gary? I think it's quite profound. It makes sense to me. I think, and, and I think you and I have exactly the same thoughts on this. I tend to say to anybody who's thinking about innovation and creativity is it's not where your business will be. Think about where your industry is going to be in five or ten years' time. And the disruptors are the ones that are going to change the whole industry by doing something different, a number of... And I like that idea of a number of horizons ahead. That's a really nice way to articulate it. So um, I think it's really profound. And I think, I think, Colin, it's one of those sayings that if somebody's in their car or sitting on the train or listening at home, they will hear it. But it'll, the penny will drop in a couple of weeks' time when something happens. They see it and go, now I get it. It's not just innovation for the sake of innovating, but truly disrupting is when you look a number of steps ahead. That's the yeah, true yeah. disruption, and that's, that's the big and, big and powerful innovation that puts you way ahead of the market. It's interesting because I just wrote, a, uh, just wrote a, a blog on my website that actually refers to just using basic services as a disruptor um, and how we think about it and how we deliver our products and services. And uh, uh, you're right, there's... The, the challenge, though, is that is the time we allocate to that type of thinking. That's the challenge. Do, we're so focused on operational. Uh, and I mean, you spend you spend your life, Gary, in helping people step out of that in a big way. Um, and I, I, that's one of the challenges that we have with the disciplines is is, is finding the time and allowing us. Uh, allowing time and feeling good about uh, being creative uh, about what the future might be. Yeah, I think that's that's very profound. Just before I let you go. I, one, one question I've got for you is, is about the sweet spot. You've got somebody who works in an organisation who wants the freedom to create. They want the freedom to innovate, take the time to think, push the boundaries. At the same time, we know leaders want accountability. And many will say accountability is missing in today's world. The other hand, they'll say, yeah, but we want you to create, we want you to be innovate, have freedom, do what you want to do, but we want accountability. Yep. In your mind... Can you articulate for me where you think the sweet spot is? I think I could probably take that in several ways. Uh, um, an environment where we demand, and I think we should demand accountability. I think we deserve to, as, as business owners or leaders, I think there's, we, there's an expectation that we, 
that that we have to deliver and what we do in our roles we have to deliver. But I think that there needs to be some expectation set about what is part of that delivery. If thinking about the future is part of what that expectation is, then we will create the time to actually uh, put that aside to think about that. But if we're not charged with it, if, we, if it's not part of a mandate in order to actually contribute to that level, then I think we have a challenge. Now, so here's an example, uh, and I, I guess I'm perhaps answering this in a, in a roundabout fashion. In the strategic planning that I've run over the last, uh, let's say, three to four years, one of the major changes that I've tried to get companies to embrace is to bring younger people into the strategic planning process. Because there's no way that I can see the world as a 25 or 28-year-old or 35-year-old. I cannot view the world through their eyes and what those opportunities are. And that's, to me, where we create those, that, that sweet spot, creating opportunities for people to explore and making it part of their role and their job, not just the delivery on the everyday items. Colin, I know I owe you a breakfast, and I haven't forgotten, but I, <laughs> I promise I will buy you <laughs> brekkie and we will continue our conversation. Um, the one thing that I remember when you and I catch up for coffee and at meetings and, and for breakfast and so on is that you are... You're a particularly good listener and you are a person who pauses to contemplate an answer rather than just rushing in. I know you've written about this before, but I'd be very curious to know a, a couple of key attributes or tips or tools that somebody could take away to become a better listener. One of the things that I always ask myself as I'm listening is, why is this being said? And then I ask myself, what's not being said? And then I ask myself, what is the face telling me about what's being said? And then I ask myself, what don't I understand about what's being said? Because maybe I should actually ask another question so that I can actually get a deeper understanding about what's being said. So for me, the focus is not on me. The focus is on the other person. And that's the, that's the biggest thing I learned, is, is how to focus on the other person as opposed to focus on what's on my, in my head or in my mind. And, and not focusing on your screen or what's next or my next appointment, my next thing I'm going to say, but actually really focusing on the other person. That is absolute gold, mate. I love it. What a great way to finish the show. That, um, that, the show just paid for itself, Robert. Cha-ching, it did indeed. <laughs> The pleasure, Gary. Anytime. Colin, I actually do I actually do have one one question for you. It, it's it's probably more important than anything sure, that, that Gary's asked you so far. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> Tell me. We spoke to Roger Black a couple of weeks ago from the UK and, and I got his answer to this. Yeah. Uh, and we had a speak to, had a had a chat to someone else a couple of weeks ago from New Zealand and I got their answer. So I'm I'm interested in a South African's perspective. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, here it comes. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, in, I'm, I'm interested in a South African perspective. Uh, September, more towards the end of September, uh, at Twickenham in England, there'll be a big game of rugby. I'm, I'm just wondering if you think the Springboks will be there or not. Okay, so I'm going to make a confession. Yeah. I'm doing some work in the UK in October and I happen to plan it when the, when the games of are Of course on. you do. Well, <laughs> hey, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There's nothing hey, wrong with that. The rubber hits the road. There's a guy who's walking the talk. There I you go. It. Absolutely. Love it. So, what, so, so, so come on, give, so, give, give us your take. Um, who's going to be there? Now, I'm going to be a bit sensitive here. Mm. Is that mm. uh, I'd love the Springboks to be there because yeah. I was in the stadium in 95 when Mandela came out into the stadium Lovely. To, to, oh. to greet the Springboks wow. and Francois wow. Pinner. 
Unreal. And that was a that was a life changing wow. experience, quite yep. frankly. Yeah. Especially after having wow. lived in a beautiful country like Australia, which I love and I feel very privileged to live in, mm. uh, and I've loved living here for thirty years. Yeah. Uh, because it was really South Africa on the basis of leaving because of apartheid. Mm. And uh, um, so I have to say that I, I'd be delighted if the Springboks ha- were able to get into a, yeah. a semi-final uh, at least. Um, but um, I tell you what, there's some tough nations to beat at the moment. So, yeah. And, uh, yeah. uh, you know, and uh, I tell you what, from the Southern Hemisphere, it'd be great if Australia was up there as well. It'd yeah. be wonderful. Absolutely. Now, someone suggested me to, the other, to me the other day that um, the, the Springboks actually tanked it against Argentina to put everybody off their game. Do you reckon there's any kudos in that? <laughs> uh, who likes losing? Come on. Who likes <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who loses on purpose? That's yeah. right. I know. I know. I just thought it was an interesting angle. I read it somewhere and went, oh, come on. <laughs> anyway. uh, one, final que- one final question that I, I like to ask, um, Colin, I'd be very interested in your answer. We... Quite often on the show, I quote Bruce Lee, the famous martial artist and movie star, and he had a philosophical saying which I think is very pertinent to today's world. He said, it's not the daily increase but the daily decrease. Hack away at the unessentials. What have you taken out of your life in the last six months that's had a profound effect on your being? Don't sweat the small stuff, literally. I try to think about that everywhere, every day. Uh, you know, the, the, the material things to me are meaningless. It's the it's the relationships and the emotions that that make a difference. And to me, that's uh, that's all, all all that really matters. Um, so I don't I don't I, I, I try and remove being concerned about the small stuff. Uh, it, it's, it takes up too much negative energy, and I try and do that all the, every day. Well, this has been. A real treat, mate. I, I thought always you were enjoy say, well, my time with you. Small stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's not <laughs> this has been a real treat, mate. I love my time with you. You're uh, thought-provoking. You are profound and just all round a good guy. Um, we will have to get you on the phone from the UK at some point during the World Cup, Robbo. What do you reckon? I think we should. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll need some on-site reports. <laughs> oh, that's a great idea. I'd love to. Yeah, you can be our on-site so reporter. Will, no, we will. We'll put it on our agenda here. We will find you. We'll track you down somewhere in the UK for a quick hello. Any profound insights you found whilst travelling that beautiful country mm. and, your, and your World Cup wrap-up would be great. <laughs> you might find a new calling, mate. Oh, you might, wonderful. You might, you might become, you know, the next big, the next Kenny Sutcliffe. <laughs> oh, there you go. Oh, wow. <laughs> James, it's been a real pleasure, a real treat. It's put a smile on my face. So uh, thanks so much and uh, a delight. And I'm going to hold you to that coffee, Gary, and maybe Robbo at the same time. That'd be nice. Yeah, I'd love to meet you. Done. That'd be fantastic. Done, done. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll drag okay. him out. He'll have, to, he'll have to change out of his brown tracky decks, though, mate. Get him out of the studio. <laughs> yeah, but, I work you know, from home too, dress, mate. <laughs> we can dress him up. He scrubs up all right. <laughs> Excellent. Good on you, mate. Thanks, thanks. for your time. Listen, have a, have, thanks, have, mate. Have a, great, have a great weekend, guys. Yeah, you too. Thanks, man. See ya. Getting your mojo working. This is the Mojo Radio Show. I'm not so, not so sure about the uh, Springboks chances. I'm not sure he's right there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it good, though? We've had a few uh, Englishmen on. Mm-hmm. Some 
Kiwis, we've had mm-hmm. South Africans. Of That's course, right. you're representing the Wallabies. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But we will we will ring him in the UK because I'd oh. like to get a report for Have what's to. going on over there. Yeah. And he sounded like he was into that idea, so um, mm. So that's good. But we should, um, what else you got, mate? Do you want to do a Lessons of Rock before we finish? I do. God of Rock, thank you for this chance to kick ass. We are your humble servants. Please give us the power to blow people's minds with our high-voltage rock. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Now let's get out there and melt some faces! The Mojo Radio Shows. Lessons in Rock. What do you got? I remember a couple of weeks ago we were talking to Andrew Griffiths. Andy, he's a good guy. Yeah. And uh, remember the, the question you popped about Sinatra? What's your favourite Sinatra song? Yep. Yeah. So it got me thinking and it actually jogged my memory and I actually went to the CD library and I pulled out Sinatra's duets. Do you remember that album from back I in the early actually, 90s? I have that album. I oh, do, yeah. Well, I, from my radio days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, it's one, it was one of my favourites for a long time and it, it, sort of, it sort of wore thin for a while and it's been packed away for years. But I've dragged it out and I've, been, it's, I've re-found it. Um, What's your favourite track? Well, I, I think it's this one. I would sacrifice anything from what might for the sake Holding you near in spite of a warning voice Comes in the night, it repeats and shouts in my ear Don't you know, blue eyes, you never can win and that's, um, that's Bono and, and old Blue Eyes. Um, and uh, tell us the segue into your lesson. Well, I, I, I was wondering, and correct me here if I'm wrong, but in, in terms of, you know, reinventing yourself by aligning, by, by aligning yourself with someone who's, who's popular or something that's well-known in that moment, I reckon there's a lesson in that somewhere, surely. Well, it goes back to, I mean, look at the you know, people who associate themselves with the Wallabies. Mm. A brand associates themselves with the Wallabies because you want the Wallabies to enhance your own brand and the mm. Wallabies ideally want to take somebody on who elevates the Wallabies brand. So yeah. you can reinvigorate yourself, but the problem is associate yourself with the wrong people mm. uh, and you can really detract. So people who associate themselves, for example, with a Kate Moss or with a Tiger Woods, as a brand, might have done damage to themselves when they ran off the rails. Mm. But then Bonds associate themselves with a Pat Rafter, elevates the brand because he's a good, simple, great, well-spoken Aussie bloke. And that's kind of what the brand represents. So that's actually a really interesting lesson because Bono's using the rub-off of the swagger of Sinatra to elevate um, U2's swagger. Mm. Uh, but certainly Frank, in his time, was using Bono to introduce him to a brand new crowd. So uh, that's nice. There you go. Worked hard. I worked hard on that one. I thought it might have been a bit of a stretch, but it's not really, is it? When you stop and think about it. No, it's not. It's a uh, and you know you can you can never get enough Sinatra on the Mojo Radio Show, buddy. No. Under my skin And I love you When you're under my skin Now, do you remember the myth about the rock and roll band saying there were no red M&Ms allowed in the green room? Yes. Yeah, All heard right. that one. Yeah. Well, that started with this band. Now, that's Van Halen, right? One of the great rock bands, you know, glam rock bands of all time. Yeah. And 
There's a story behind this. It was written up in a book called The Checklist Manifesto, which is a terrific book. Here's, here's the story that goes with it. The band in their rider, and the rider is, here's the expectations the band have for the booze, the food, and everything else that goes into the green Chicks. room, the backstage, <laughs> backstage room. And they put into their rider that they wanted a bowl of M&Ms with no, I think it was no red M&Ms in there. It was green, I think green it was. M&Ms, no was green it? M&Ms, yeah. And the reason they did it was that when they turned up at the venue for sound check, they'd go to the green room and they'd look at the M&Ms and if the green M&Ms were in the jar, they knew that the promoter hadn't been through the whole contract word for word, which means they then had to go and check everything about the venue. However, if there were no green M&Ms, they knew that the promoter had gone right down to the absolute finite details in which case they were comfortable that everything would have been under control. So the takeout is that checklists, it's a great book, Checklist Manifesto, checklists are terribly important. No, the takeout's the green M&Ms. <laughs> it's just a great story, but it just goes down to detail why the band was such a great band and not leaving anything to chance. And also having checklists, how important it is for performance and productivity and standards. So it isn't a myth, there actually is some great lesson of rock that sits behind it. So uh, there you go. Now, one other thing. Can I just let mention alone one the fact, other- Let alone the fact, they rock. 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 One other thing, Robbo. Um, mm-hmm. I am doing a gig in Newcastle on Thursday night. Uh, right. It's for the Hunter Collective, and mm-hmm. I'm speaking with our good mate Lisa Messenger. Oh, nice. From the Renegade Collective magazine, my old mm-hmm. mate Lisa, who is fantastic on her feet, uh, and Jacinta McDonald, who is the founding director of Anytime Fitness in Australia. We are speaking up there at the Hunter Collective for ideation uh, at work, mm. which is a group putting together this, this opportunity for people to come along and see us speak, and then we are doing a panel where people can pitch ideas to us. Details are at www.huntercollective.com.au. Thursday night, 10th of September, 5.30 till 8.30. Love to see y'all there in Newcastle. Love a good plug. Ah, you know, what, could, what, and, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Hey, you're going to pull a crowd, haven't you? Have That's a crack. Right. Exactly. Have a crack. Lisa Messenger, she was a great episode. If anyone's uh, looking for uh, to getting their head around the entrepreneurial spirit, Lisa Messenger is definitely one to go back and have a listen to if you're new to the show. Mate, she's a star. I tell Absolutely. you, she is an absolute star. Founder mm. and dreamer of the Renegade Collective. So, um, yeah, And not hard on night. the eyes either. What, mate, none of them are. All, no. the, all the whole lot of them. I yeah. certainly am the thorn a bunch in a bunch of roses. <laughs> let me tell you, I am... Yeah, What's anyway. worse than a thorn? Let's go there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't want to think about it. I reckon we're done, mate. We're out. Have a good one. The Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.